Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. What is good, everybody? Welcome to the Off Day Debrief brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That is code SBNNFL only at DraftKings Sportsbook. I am Rob Stats Guerrero from Bleeding Green Nation. He is Brandon Lee Gowden. What's up, BLG? Stats. It almost made it sound like you were from Bleeding Green Nation there, which is definitely not the case. But uh, if you wanted to be an Eagles fan, I would welcome you aboard. But I would seriously question your decision making at this <laughs> juncture. Uh, big shout out to DraftKings. Thanks for, you know, hopping on the program here. Uh, Stats, I want to read a review before we get in today's jam-packed show. This is obviously from Apple Podcasts, where people can leave five-star ratings and reviews if they like the show to help support the show, because it's a free channel. You know, just a little support. Show some love. We appreciate it. We'll show you some love back. This review is from Eagles22207. Title, Oddcast. The Oddcast is the best thing on this channel. It's yeah. the only national NFL pod I listen to. Rob and BLG are fantastic together. I love the back and forth between you guys. I need BLG to stop making bets, though. And stats, go eat a McGriddle. Wow. All right. Well, first of all, I would like you to stop. I'm not going to make any more singing bets with you because even though I won the bet, that felt like a punishment for me and everyone with ears. It's really nice to not have to pay off a bet this week because I had to <laughs> the last two weeks, and you know that wasn't great. But seeing the singing, I mean, the singing was like pretty good compared to not the actual performance, but that the having to pay off that bet, yeah, compared to having to make my Twitter avatar the Cowboys or the blogging the boys logo, I should say, for a whole week. So, uh, so yeah, didn't make any bets with Pete Sweeney about the Chiefs, and I think that was a good decision by me. Yes, you are learning. Uh, I will say. With the bet and the singing, you had to sing I Left My Heart in San Francisco, and you mentioned it to me before we started, and you were 100% right. Singing is hard enough, but that song in particular is really weird. Like, Tony Bennett just kind of, like, says the words whenever he wants. There's no rhythm to it. Like, you were sort of on your own there. I give you credit for that. It is not a karaoke song. It's not at all. Like it's just really hard. Uh, again, like if there's a not that like you know a song that might have been a little bit more catchy would have sounded that much better coming from me. But like just the execution of it wasn't easy. So thank you for appreciating my hardship here, stats. Anytime, you know I appreciate you. Uh, we have a ton to do today. If you are new to the show, this is where we restate the state of the league. We have the only. 100% accurate power rankings in the entire NFL podcast universe. So uh, like Eagles fan there, if we're the only national pod you listen to, no worries because you got the perfect power rankings. We do them every week. You can always check those out at bleedinggreennation.com. We're going to talk about those. But before we get there, BLG, let's talk about the Monday night football game. 
Uh, and we do that with BD Williams of Silver and Black Pride. Good morning, BD. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So first of all, before we get into the game or any of that stuff, how do you feel about the indoor lightning delay that kicked this one off? <laughs> Never seen that before, but, you know, I guess safety comes first, right? I mean, I know John Gruden wasn't happy about it after the game. Actually, he kind of trashed the whole stadium after the game, too. He wasn't happy with the visiting locker room. Is that just Gruden being cranky after a loss? Yeah, he, usually he'll have some choice words, some interesting little nuggets that people run with after a loss. You know, it's kind of his uh, that that's the way he operates. So, all right, let's dive into the game here. I have been a huge fan of what the Raiders have done so far this year, but in the first half, their offense was almost completely shut down by the Chargers. What happened? Yeah, I think there was a, a little bit of an element of the Raiders having a tough time picking up some blitz looks. I think that they did a good job. The Chargers did a good job of creating what's like what we call the illusion of pressure where it looks like there might be six guys, you know, six eligible rushers, but only four come and just switching those kind of looks up. I think the Raiders had a hard time picking that up in the first half. And then in the second half, I don't know what happened in the locker room, but all of a sudden the Raiders start to get going. They drop 14 points in the third quarter. What adjustments did you see that allowed them to finally get moving? Something that they were doing was just running some play action and helping them, you know, stop this pass rush, stop Joey Bosa, make him play the run a little bit, and then uh, throwing some, uh, you know, throwing some strikes downfield. You know, we, we see this offense do this in spurts every week, you know, regardless if they win or lose. Uh, so hopefully, you know, Derek Carr can just kick it up a notch and do that consistently throughout the game. I'm glad you went there because that was my next question. I have been sort of, I don't want to say reluctantly because it's not reluctant, but I have been telling people like, hey, Carr can sling this thing, man. I always thought all of his problems were from the neck up. He needed to be more aggressive and go downfield consistently. It seemed to my eyes so far this season like he has been doing that, but you obviously follow him a lot closer than I do. Am I right in thinking that, or what do you see from Carr this season? Yeah, I think um, I think we are seeing a little bit more of a higher frequency of him like stepping up in the pocket and throwing the ball downfield. He did that last year, though these wide receivers weren't catching these balls. So I think we're also seeing the emergence of Henry Ruggs as a viable deep threat in the NFL. Um, and then also a little bit of Brian Edwards as well as a possession guy who can win some contested catches. I think those guys stepping their game up is contributing to some of these success that people are, are seeing from Derek Hart this year. So I look at the Raiders' schedule. They play Chicago next week. Then they go to Denver. Then they host Philly. And then they have a bye week. What is the Raiders' record going into that bye week? Uh, okay, so asking for a prediction. Um, you know, maybe they lose another one. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident looking at the looking at the schedule going forward. The Raiders are going to, you know, be able to beat the Bears, get back rolling. Uh, so we'll see what their record is. But I, I'd predict maybe around two losses, two three losses going into the bye. Where do you put them in terms of? the AFC West. I mean, first of all, every division game in the AFC West is going to be fantastic with Mahomes and Herbert and obviously Carr. Denver kind of stinks, but whatever. Do you, like going into the season, I actually thought the Raiders were going to win the division. Right now, as it stands, have you reevaluated what you thought was going to happen before the season began? Yeah, I, I had a feeling that the Chargers were going to be a tough out. My question mark was how mature 
would this team be with it, you know, a brand new head coach? And they answer some of those questions coming off of a big win. They, you know, go division win on prime time. So uh, chargers are definitely going to be dangerous. So I think that that the emergence of the chargers, you know, obviously Kansas city is always going to be, you know, the, the one that this, you know, division is gunning for, uh, it just makes it a really tough division. Uh, but I do think that the Raiders are still in the, they're in the hunt, you know, but they got to finish strong. <laughs> well, they're in a rare position though, because I feel like most teams, not that they're scared, but you know, they're a little intimidated by the chiefs because of the high powered offense and Mahomes and the whole thing. But the Raiders have shown that they can play with the Chiefs. So it's sort of a weird position like, hey, I know the Chiefs might be the big bad in the division, but it's not exactly like the Raiders, you know, haven't had success against them. Yeah, I think and the Chargers have some success against them as well. Like that kind of just goes to show um, it's going to be tough in the division uh, for any team, you know, and, and the Chiefs aren't going to be excluded from that. Going into this season, I felt like even though he might not necessarily be on the hot seat because of his contract and the fact that Mark Davis seemingly loves John Gruden like a son, I think the feeling among a lot of Raider fans is like, hey, dude, it's time to win here. You've been back for a few years. You've had a few drafts under your belt. Now that they're 3-1 and one and they've looked really good this season, what do you think the feeling is about John Gruden just among the fan base? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely playoffs or bust for sure. It can't be, you know, another another season missing in playoffs when you have that kind of contract and guaranteed money and all that stuff. You know, you, you should bring some results with that. So it's definitely playoffs or bust. Uh, we'll see how forgiving, you know, what kind of playoff, playoff exit would be for the fans. Uh, but that's the lowest bar right there. If things were to go sour and a change was to be made, is Mike Mayock basically the first guy on the chopping block? You know, that's an interesting question. And, and it always seemed to me, at least, that Mayock and Gruden are pretty, you know, um, in lockstep with each other. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think that Gruden's kind of uh, mode of operating is not firing people and kind of like being stubborn and trying to prove that he was right in hiring that person more so than, you know, firing people. So I, I, I wouldn't anticipate Mike Mayock being in any danger of losing his job. I think that they're going to, they're trying to keep everyone for as long as they possibly can. So, well, obviously I don't want to take it too far down that road because the Raiders are three and one. They look really good on the season two and zero at home. Like you said, they've got some games coming up that could have them in a good position at the bye week. B.D. Williams, host of the Tape Don't Lie podcast for Silver and Black Pride. We really appreciate a few minutes this morning. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Stats. All right, BLG, 28-14 win by the Chargers. What did you like in this one? What did you see that jumped out to you the most? Well, I like my Chargers stats. The team that I said was going to be the team of the year. I don't know if I actually said that, but they're going to be a really good team on the come up. I had Justin Herbert as my MVP pick. I think it's safe to say he belongs in that conversation early on. Not the favorite necessarily, but he's in that combo. Brandon Staley stats. I love what I'm seeing from Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley does not coach scared. And I'll get to that later in the show, a little tease. Um, he plays to win the game, as Herm <laughs> Edwards says. I love how aggressive he is. He was aggressive against the Chiefs. He he executed the formula to do that last week. This week, he didn't necessarily need to be as aggressive because it's not like you necessarily need that formula to go out and beat the Raiders. Um, but he, he, he did. Like He was aggressive on fourth down. I love that decision at the end of the game 
where like it's kind of weird where you, you could almost throw this in the oddity section it looks like they're gonna li- you know line up to kick a field goal and they like pooch punt it instead uh like this, there's a lot of creativity coming from this coaching staff a lot of aggressiveness i really just love what i'm seeing from the chargers the chargers are for real stats like everyone is like oh it's the chargers can't take them seriously they're always going to find a way to to mess it up and i almost thought that was going to happen in this game you know when they take this 21 to 0 lead and then it looks like the raiders are going to call back and i was texting with some friends at the time like uh when the chargers were up i'm like man like and there's spoiler alert there's some eagles fans and i'm like <laughs> i almost just want to root for the chargers right now because i just i need something good to root for and something fun exciting to root for and as i said that the chargers started to blow it and i'm like oh no i jinxed the chargers but they didn't they didn't blow it they hung on and that is very unchargers like of them so i think they kind of have a new vibe a new juju a new culture here going on and i think that's encouraging to see for the first time with the Chargers, I feel like they have a head coach that's not a liability, that's not almost actively working against them. And you combine that with a great quarterback. I mean, Justin Herbert, the thing I liked about in this game, it wasn't even like he was killing them with the wide receivers. It was the running backs and the tight ends that he was really gouging uh, the Raiders with. And I saw this stat from Field Yates, which is incredible. Herbert now has six games with three touchdowns and no interceptions. That's tied for the most by any quarterback in NFL history in his first two seasons. And Justin Herbert has only played in 19 games, which is barely over one season. He is incredible. He is one of the best quarterbacks in the league already, and we have been big Chargers fans on this show, and that is not going to stop anytime soon. Herbert throws such a pretty ball to me. He really does, and having those jump ball targets kind of makes it really aesthetically pleasing too. Stats, I grew up loving Terrell Owens, as you know, as we've talked about before, I believe, on this program. I loved, I, I just love the idea of a jump ball wide receiver. And the Chargers, Chargers have quite a bit of those and, you know, include Jared Cook and everything in there too. And I think it's just an awesome combo. It's just, it's very demoralizing. It's like, how do you stop that? Like you can, you can play the perfect coverage, but if you have that big body target, who's just going to make the play anyway, like you can't really do much. And in that way, the Chargers are almost like unstoppable at a certain level. And, you know, but and you add, you can you combine that offense with a defense coached by Brandon Staley and Derwin James making big plays like he did to seal the game mm-hmm. on Monday night like I really just love what they have going here I think they're I said it before the season and I kind of said it in a way where like I know this might not happen but I'm going to put it out there because I, f- I do feel good about them but I also want to be bold because it's not just fun to say oh the Chiefs are going to win the AFC West again like who what what is the fun in like predicting that or saying that yeah anyone could say that I wanted to be a little bit different and I said the Chargers are going to win that division and a lot of season to go but I think it's safe to say right now I mean they look like the kings of the AFC West they look I don't want to say unbeatable because nobody looks unbeatable, but they just look so versatile on offense. And they finally, like I said, have a head coach. It seems like he knows what he's doing. Um, we have been all over the Chargers. We love their over. We like them in the division, like you said. And uh, I am i couldn't be more excited about what's going on there. I do, however, look at your power rankings for this week, BLG, mm-hmm. and we're going to get there after the break. But I look and I see the Chargers at number six in the power rankings. I'm surprised they're so low. Why did you have them at number six real quick? I mean, just kind of the flow. So we'll say the teams ahead of them are the Browns, the Bills, the Cards, the Rams, and the Bucks. So, I mean, that's not, I don't think there's any shame in that. I'm not saying like that's an indictment. I, you know, they lost to the Cowboys, so I dropped them down for that. 
And I thought that was pretty disappointing. And then, you know, obviously week one, they weren't as dominant as I probably would have liked them to see against the football team, especially considering now that defense is looking pretty bad in Washington, a lot worse than expected. Um, But like, yeah, it's not so much about knocking them. There's a lot of good teams here. These teams at the top, there isn't like a ton separating them. Like you just said, no one here is unbeatable. There's some really good teams. And I think they're in that tier of really good teams. It's it's not like uh, a slight to them. All right, well, we're going to dive into the rest of the power rankings. Plus, we have our MVP and LVP points to give out for week four as well. Stay with us all that and more after the break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, BLG, let's dive into the only 100% accurate power rankings in the entire NFL podcast universe. And as I said earlier, if you want to check out the whole list, go to bleedinggreennation.com. It is there for you and as well as tons of Great stats and information that you put in there every week, BLG. You said it before the break, but let me just do it really quickly again. Browns number one, Bills two, Cardinals three, Rams four, Bucks five, Chargers six, Ravens seven, Packers eight, Chiefs nine, Dallas Cowboys ten. I want to start right at the top because the Cleveland Browns did not exactly look impressive against the Minnesota Vikings. They get the 14 to seven win. I mean, 14 to seven. This is like you just upped your difficulty on Madden and you weren't prepared, but you still found a way to gut it out. Well, I would argue that the Browns have shown the ability to both score a lot of points like they did early in the season. And the past two weeks, I think they've played suffocating defense. Like the Vikings weren't even in position to score for most of that game. And they only scored seven points total. Uh, So I think that's impressive to me. I think you could argue they are the NFL's most complete team. Like they're most well-rounded between what they can do on offense and defense. So that's kind of why I have them at that number one spot in that they're, they don't really have a weakness. I don't think they're weak on offense and I don't think they're weak on defense. So I kind of put them at the top there because of that. And I feel good about it. Why do you hate the Browns? (laughs) No, I don't hate the Browns. First of all, Miles Garrett is like a freak out there. Like I saw some film of him where he makes a move that is so quick I literally thought there was a problem with the video and the person tweeting it said like the video is accurate. This is what happened. Like (laughs) he is a freak coming off the edge and you're right about the defense. They suffocated the Vikings after Minnesota scored on the opening possession. They got the ball 11 more times and they never even attempted a field goal. That's how dominant Cleveland's defense was. You know, it was funny. I thought it was going to be the Kevin Stefanski revenge game playing his old team in Minnesota. But you're right. The defense just took over that game. And no matter what style of game the Browns find themselves in, I feel like they can win it. And like you said, that's the mark of a complete team. Unlike way off in the past stats, I have confidence in the Browns. Like a lot of people thought the Vikings were going to win this game or at least, you know, had a good chance to because, hey, the Vikings – as RJ has said on the look ahead, your co-host on a different show, like, Hey, the Vikings aren't as bad as their record indicates because they lost some close games. Well, I mean, if you can, if you want to say that, which you can, but then the Browns beat them and then you have to give them credit. Like they beat a team that doesn't look as bad as their record looks. So uh, I think it was impressive what they did. Uh, Also on miles Garrett, I'm sure you saw stats. Maybe you didn't that he tweeted out that 
Um, like his first game in a while where he didn't wear sleeves because he usually wears sleeves. Uh, he happened to get uh, tested or for PEDs or like a request, you know, from the <laughs> NFL. And he posted a picture of himself looking jacked. And that D that dude is indeed pretty jacked. It's, it's pretty kind of crazy. It looks like he doesn't look like a real human being. He yes. looks like, like, like a video game player who like you could adjust the sliders on for how like muscly <laughs> they are and everything. And he's just like 99 maxed out. He's a beast. Yeah, every once in a while, I like to throw everything at 99 just to see what they look like. And it turns out it's actually Miles Garrett. Like, that's just how he rolls. Uh, you have Buffalo at number two. The Bills seem to be rounding into form. Josh Allen is, I mean, some of the plays that he makes. I loved, loved. They line up. It's fourth down. I think it was fourth down and short. They look like they're going for the quarterback sneak. Instead, he fakes the sneak and goes around the edge and picks up the first down. That was a fantastic play. And as a team, uh, a fan of a team that has a mobile quarterback now and Trey Lance, like the Niners need mm. to steal that. That is, How do you stop that? You don't. And I like how you snuck in the 49ers thing in there. But um, it's clear to credit RJ, uh, who I, I guess I kind of ripped earlier, um, whatever. Uh, the Bills week one loss, I think you can say it was kind of more about them beating themselves than it was like the signal of bad things to come. And I think like teams often say that a lot and it may not necessarily be true. Like, oh, we beat ourselves. Like teams love to say that because they don't like to accept that another team can possibly be better than them. But it was this, I think that was truly the case with the Bills in week one. And, and things can just be weird in week one too. Like Things just go in a weird way that you don't always expect. You know, like the Houston, like the Texans, who just lost uh, by forty points this week, <laughs> won in week one. Now, obviously, they had Tyrod at the time, so it's a different story. But uh, yeah, this Bills team is back on track. Stats outscoring their opponents one hundred and eighteen to twenty one over their last three games. <laughs> I don't care who you're playing; like it literally doesn't matter who you're playing. Like that's impressive when you can pitch a shutout in or twice in the span of three weeks, like that's impressive, regardless of opponent. That is not easy to do. It's not easy to prevent teams from scoring any points in today's NFL where offense has like never been easier. So again, that's pretty crazy. Bills are back on track. Obviously, you know, big game coming up against the Chiefs. We'll see, you know, if they can kind of keep this going. And if they do, then I mean, man, they're really for real at this point. I mean, they're already pretty good, but uh, yeah, they're pretty scary right now. Yeah, you mentioned the shutouts. First team a team has done that at this point in the season since the Baltimore Ravens defense of 2000. Turns out they ended up being pretty good. So, yeah, things are absolutely rolling in Buffalo right now. Let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals at number three. I have famously been slow playing the Cardinals. I'm not a fan of Cliff Kingsbury. You know, I've seen the Cardinals start out really hot before and then kind of fade away. They got a very impressive win over the Rams. You have them at number three in your rankings, up from number five. Are you officially a believer in Arizona? I think I owe, I think you owe, I think a lot of us here at the SB Nation NFL show owe the Cardinals an apology. I think we were all saying, like, this is the worst team in the NFC West, which is a good division, obviously. So it's not like saying they're a trash team, but it's like, you know, they're clearly not as good. Like, that's like the one thing I think we agreed on that we might know about the NFC West. Like, we don't know who the top team necessarily is, but we know it's not the Cardinals. And <laughs> guess what? It actually is the Cardinals, or at least it is right now. I mean, to get a win in that spot was like a big uh, test. It was a big, like, it's a statement win. It's like, hey, this Cardinals team, are they for real? Like, who have they really beaten? They beat the Rams, who everyone is assuming like the, the 
just going to run away with the Super Bowl, basically, or at least run away with the NFC uh, early in the season with, you know, Matthew Stafford looking good and everything. Um, you know, you could argue they should be higher in my rankings. They're the only NFL or the NFL's only remaining undefeated team here. Um, as I like to say, though, power rankings aren't the same thing as standings. So it's not as simple as just putting them as number one. Uh, it's not a knock on them at all. But I mean, Kyler Murray has a bunch of weapons to work with, and I think that's going to continue to be the case. Like, like I don't see the Cardinals going. What What do you think is like going to make them go away here? Is it Cliff undoing them at some point? I mean, even so, like they're still in a really good spot. Um, they're they're just formidable. Kyler Murray is unbelievable. Like he is so for a guy that is so small. He's so in control of everything that goes on out there. Even when he's running and scrambling, you never see him take a big hit. He is doing it all for Arizona, and the only thing that could stop them, honestly, is I feel like him getting nicked up a little bit because I continue to say that I think their success primarily is based on him being amazing. I don't think they're out-scheming anyone. I think that he's just really, really good. If he gets dinged at all and loses a little mobility or something like that, I think they could run into some problems, but they have a very strong defense. Like you said, they're the only undefeated team left. They already have a win over the Rams in their division, which obviously could be big as we get later in the season. Uh, I've got a little more love to give to the Cardinals later in the show, but right now they deserve all the praise they are getting. Where do you want to go next in your power rankings? Well, we could talk about the Rams, uh, which we will later, so I'm not going to do that right now. Um, we talked about the Chargers. Why don't we hit on the Raiders a little bit since we should have talked about their loss. I mean, I know you did earlier on the show. I just wanted to mention that, like, I don't think this loss is necessarily a referendum on the Raiders being, like, frauds. Like, I think they got a legit record. I mean, they were like, the 3-0 and was legit. It wasn't, like, a fake 3-0. and Like, you might argue more so, like, that the Broncos was. Yes. Who since lost. Um, and that's not to even say the Broncos are a bad team. I have them at 16th. I didn't move them at all. In frauds. My just because Total I frauds. Well, I, I, I mean, frauds, but like that's relative in terms of like what you're talking about. They're frauds if you think if if people were in the light of people talking about them as like one of the NFL's best teams. They're not fraud in the sense that they're like they're not a terrible team. They're just in the middle. That's where they they're they're middle of the pack kind. Of, you don't you don't think the Broncos are a middle of a pack kind of team? No, I think the Broncos stink Why? on ice. They beat the Giants, the Jags, and the Jets. The first time they played anybody formidable, they got their teeth kicked in by the Ravens, twenty three to seven. They have no quarterback, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater, whether it's Drew Locke. I don't care. John Elway could probably be a better quarterback right now for the Broncos than what they've gotten. They're just total frauds, and they're just going to keep losing. They have the Steelers, the Raiders, the Browns, Washington, and the Cowboys coming up next. I bet they win maybe one of those games against Washington. Maybe. I think Denver stinks. So you think they're like a bottom 10 team? Because I don't think yes. they're they're not like a bottom five team. We can no. agree on that, right? They're not yeah. Like, yeah. Their defense is good enough to keep them out of that. But I I don't think they're any good at all. I don't even think they're mediocre. I uh, should probably touch on the Chiefs stats since we're bopping around all place here. I mean, they're back in my – well, I had them in top 10. I had them at 10th last week. Um, they come to Philly. They – the game was a lot more competitive than I guess the final score looked because it was you know close there for a time. Um, the Eagles were down five, I believe, early in the fourth quarter. And I never got the sense the Eagles were actually going to win that game. It's not like the Chiefs were in serious danger of losing. But, uh, man, that Chiefs defense is terrible. And I know we keep saying that. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of just like, yeah, well, it doesn't really matter because of the offense. And I obviously famously believe that in general. But, like... I don't know, man. Like it can't be like this bad where the Chiefs didn't force a punt in this game. 
a week, you know, and the Eagles offense like hasn't been a juggernaut, especially recently. Like, like, like to to allow that production to the Eagles, and I think it's kind of interesting from an East perspective, where everyone is like, "Oh, well, it's a positive game because you know the offense bounced back and Jalen Hurts did some good things." And I think there's some truth to that, but I also think you have to like consider the level of competition of a defense that like can't stop anyone right now. They're just they're just like giving up everything. There's there's nothing scary about the Chiefs defense. Nothing there makes you go, "Oh no, we have to worry about that player or, or that um that guy wrecking a game." And it's, you know, it's kind of weird because they have Chris Jones, they have Tyron Matthew. Um Frank Clark has been hurt. They'll get him back. He's overrated anyway. I am <laughs> glad for making that call when we did our most overrated players in the NFL uh podcast in the offseason because I was pretty right about that one. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I have the Chiefs at nine, and obviously Mahomes and the Andy Reid factor is always going to be scary. That part and the offense is going to be scary. Tyreek Hill, all of that. But I mean, the defense is a big issue, and that's why they, I only have them ninth here. It's crazy to me that if from Philadelphia's perspective, you could go into a game, never punt, never turn the ball over, score thirty points, and still lose by double digits. Which is, I mean, I don't know how many times you can say that in the history of the NFL. The Chiefs' defense is awesome. I agree. Are there, I'm sorry. The Chiefs' offense is awesome. I agree with everything you said about the defense. It's crazy to me because I feel like this is what's going to happen, BLG. The defense is going to continue to be bad, and then at some point in the season, they're going to shift to slightly less bad, and they'll just be like sort of okay, right? The last two weeks of the season, they played the Bengals and the Broncos. I could see the Chiefs defense having decent games in those games, and people would be saying, oh, look, they're rounding into form as we go into the playoffs. And it's like, no, no, they're not. They're not very good. They just get away with it because Patrick Mahomes can throw five touchdowns in seemingly every freaking game that he plays, and that's going to be good enough for them. I think the hope has to be that Clark does come back and get healthy. Shavarius Ward, the starting cornerback, does come back and get healthy. Maybe they make an addition to the trade deadline. Maybe they can trade for someone who kind of gives them a like a little not like, you know, amazing difference maker, but like maybe a little bit more of a pass rush because their pass rush stinks. Something like that. I think they have to do that, honestly. I think they have to kind of make some kind of move there and get be aggressive because it, it needs help. Um and they're very much in danger of finishing not in first in the AFC West. Much to Sweeney's chagrin. One more I want to get to because you went out of your way last week to take glee in the fact that you kept the Cowboys out of the top 10 in your power (laughs) rankings. This week, they move up one spot. They sneak into number 10. We're just talking about good offenses, BLG. Mm -hmm. The Cowboys are absolutely humming right now. Dak Prescott, you and I were kind of, we were throwing some dirt on Dak Prescott, saying he wasn't looking good, that we should be worried about the injury. He and the Cowboys are rolling right now. And we, I got to take the L on that one. Uh, I won't um, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I almost just don't even want to talk about the Cowboys and RJ's going to really like to hear that just because like what am I going to say what do you want me to say you, you all see it um, I don't need to say it I mean I do because I'm on a national NFL show <laughs> and I need to be objective about this to some measure I guess but uh, but yeah they look really good um, they look like legitimate Super Bowl contenders not favorites by any means because there's you know more competition here and in, in, in the NFC I have you know I have the Cardinals ahead of them I have the Rams ahead of them still I have the Bucks ahead of them I have the Packers ahead of them. So by no means the favorites, but they're in that mix. They're in that group of the best teams in the NFC. Uh, I want to see them play some more of those teams, and they won't because they have one of the NFL's easiest schedules remaining in the league, and that's going to put them in a good position. I mean, they're going to run away with the NFC stats because who else is going to win it? Who is who is even – like RJ is saying that he believes the Eagles are the, the second biggest competition right now, and they're one in three, and they're not looking <laughs> so hot. They just allowed 40 
uh, plus points in two straight games. So, uh, and obviously unresolved situations at head coach and quarterback. So uh, the Cowboys are in a really good spot and it would be a terrible season if they do something great. So I am very much not only dreading, you know, obviously the Eagles each week being bad, but the Cowboys being good. So great. And I want to give credit to RJ because he's the one that brought this to my attention. And it's rare that you see a Cowboys fan actually admit this. I know their defense is not any good, but listen to the quarterbacks that they play the rest of the season. Daniel Jones, Mac Jones, Kirk Cousins, whoever the hell the quarterback is in Denver, Matt Ryan, Mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr, Jameis Winston, Taylor Heineke, or maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick at that point, we'll see. Daniel Jones again, the Washington quarterback again, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts. It is not exactly a murderer's row that Dallas is going to have to face. And with that offense, like, they're going to be they could be the top seed in the NFC just by virtue of a really good offense and a really crappy schedule. There has been like an undercurrent still of Mike McCarthyisms in terms of bad decisions like I was checking out blogging the boys this morning as I do each morning for the link post that I do on bleedinggreennation.com. And so that's kind of funny because even though the Chargers are Chargers, the Cowboys have been winning and looking good, there is still like some unrest about him. And I think that's what I'm kind of banking on and hoping and counting on that he will screw it up for them somehow at some point when like, you know, the competition or the level of competition is more equal, you know, not so much against an inferior opponent, but like in the playoffs or or whatever. And it, and it comes down to it and you need kind of everything to be spot on and you yep. need your coach to give you an edge instead of being a liability. So that's kind of the hope I have going here. And honestly, I would be terrified in a world where the Cowboys like fire Mike McCarthy and just promote Kellen Moore because I think that would be like what they really should do, especially because they are at risk of losing Kellen Moore in theory in today's world as only their you know play caller, offensive coordinator. But uh, until then, they're in a good spot and they're probably going to rattle off a lot more wins. And we're going to have to hear about it on the SB Nation NFL show each week. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to stop listening. That was the perfect point to make on Mike McCarthy. Like, if the Cowboys are blowing everybody out, his biggest weakness is going to be hidden because he can't manage the game. He can't manage the clock. He can't. He's terrible at it. And when you're blowing people out, it's not going to be that big of a deal. But you're right. When it ratchets up in the playoffs and the competition increases, that's when that comes more into focus. And if you're a Cowboy fan, I'm sorry. You can say what you want. I would have zero confidence in Mike McCarthy to make the right call in a big spot. He's shown again and again and again, he can't do it. He's bad at it. And more importantly, BLG, he hasn't even shown any awareness that he's bad at it. Like he still thinks he's made the right decisions. And that's the scary part. I will give McCarthy credit for something I kind of knocked him on last year in that I don't think the Cowboys did a good job of handling adversity really last year. I think they were obviously dealt a tough situation, but I think they could have been a little bit better than they were with a better head coach and a head coach who responded to adversity better, which I think is a big mark of a a head coach. And this year, uh, to his credit, um, or maybe I don't know how much credit he deserves. Maybe it's just the leadership they have on the team, whatever. But I I will give him at least some credit for it is that the Cowboys were facing some adversity early on the season, like going into week two, I didn't think the vibes were good for them. You know, they're losing to Marcus Lawrence. You know, Gregory's on the COVID list at that point. Um, they have all these injuries. Thayel Collins gets suspended. Like, there are a lot of things that were going south for them, and they kind of rallied. They got a, a big win over a Chargers team that is good, and they've built off of that. They've built momentum off of that. So, you know, I don't want to give him, like, zero credit here, but, uh, yeah, I, I do agree it's a long-term issue. 
I'll give him zero credit, and I will not feel bad about it in the <laughs> least. Uh, before we go, let's get to our MVP and LVP points. I have two MVPs this week and one LVP, so if you allow me, I will kick off the MVP sure. conversation. And i got to go back to Arizona and give it to Chase Edmonds. Give him a little love. 12 carries for 120 yards against the Rams. The Cardinals had 15 rushing first downs in the game. Now, I know that wasn't all him, but Kyler Murray only ran for 39 yards in the day, so it's not like all that was Kyler. Edmonds was getting it done. The Cardinals ran for 216 yards on the day, and he's keeping that offense able to move the chains. You know, when it's second and short and third and short, there's so many more things that they can do, ways that they can threaten you with screens, play action, all that stuff. I know Kyler gets a lot of the love, and he should, but I wanted to give some love to Chase Edmonds, even though he didn't score because touchdown vulture James Conner came in. He did a great job for the Cardinals. That a, a ground game there, a consistent ground game, is going to make all the difference in the world. I appreciate you going outside of the box stats here with the Cardinals specifically too. Because you gave Chandler Jones an MVP point in Week One. Now, obviously, yes. he deserved that. He had what five or six sacks. So, but still, <laughs> good to see we're not just like going quarterbacks here. Unlike me, who I will hand out my first MVP point to the aforementioned Justin Herbert, who completed 25 of his 30 attempts for 222 yards. So the average was low there, 5.8. But again, so those are really pretty ball. Three touchdowns, zero interceptions. He had a 107.6 passer rating just thought he was in command out there that's one of the things i might like the most about justin herbert's stats is that he looks composed he never looks rattled to me like he looks like the moment isn't too big for him i trust him out there i have like a level of trust in justin herbert uh and i'm going to give him an mvp point because i predicted he would win the real mvp we both did at the very least yeah he can win an mvp and our thing if i keep just juicing the score <laughs> or the system and giving him points each week and then i can claim victory on that but uh in seriousness no in seriousness though uh he looks really good he's fantastic you're right about his mentality i don't think he gets rattled too high or too low you know, I've seen interviews with him, a bunch of them, and he just seems like a very even-keeled guy, and that's that's a, a good quality to have in a quarterback, and he's killing it right now for the Chargers. Uh, for my second MVP, I hate to go back inside the box, BLG, but I got to give it to a quarterback, and that's Russell Wilson. And uh-huh. as much yes, as, I, I'm so excited for this. As much as I, it pains me to say it, <laughs> like the dude is – he's un flappable i have never seen russell wilson get rattled in my life the seahawks come out in this game and they absolutely get shut down by the 49ers defense the seahawks had five not just five straight punts in the game five straight three and outs they were doing absolutely nothing they didn't have a single positive yard gained in the entire first quarter but doesn't matter Russ just keeps coming now the 49ers offense helped out by not doing a damn thing after the opening drive But he just keeps coming. He's making incredible plays. He's scrambling for a 16-yard touchdown run. One of the touchdowns Seattle got, I still don't know how he did it. He drops back to pass. There is a guy in his face that's grabbing him. There's a still photo of the play where the 49ers defender basically has his hands wrapped around Russell Wilson's waist. Russell Wilson is not even facing the end zone in the play, and somehow he turned it into a touchdown because he broke the tackle, rolled to rolled out to his right, and threw the touchdown. No quarterback has more on his shoulders every week, I think, than Russell Wilson because, number one, 
the Seahawks defense is hot garbage. And number two, he's got a coach that consistently makes it hard for him by continuing to run the ball and taking the ball out of his hands, yet somehow Russell Wilson finds a way, more often than not, to get the victory. And I hate his guts because he always beats my team. He's 16-4 and four against the 49ers, including <laughs> the playoffs. But I got to give him love because he killed it. I love this so much. I was hoping you took him because I made one MVP point, MVP point, and I wanted to give it to Herbert. I was counting on you to do this, and I'm so glad you did. Um, credit to you for giving it to an enemy player. I would have a much tougher time doing that. Russell Wilson stats is inevitable. He is the Thanos <laughs> of the NFL. He is like he's just so like he's such a gamer, and you know he's going to make that big play. You just know, you know it. Deep down, that he's going to make that big play against your team. He makes, I, I swear, he makes the most difficult throws in the NFL on a regular basis. Like, I don't know how we chart that, but he has to. Like, he makes crazy plays that, like, clearly aren't just a result of scheme. Like, there's a lot of quarterbacks, I think, who thrive, not to take credit away from them, in part because they have really good coaching and they're just executing the offense and they're making some good throws. But, like, Russell Wilson is just doing, like, special unguardable so that's that's the thing i've always said about him like he reminds me of like nba's trey young i know it's a weird, little bit of a weird comparison because he's just so small he's running around there and he just feels unguardable because it's like if you do this thing well he's going to do that thing and if you do this thing well he's going to do that thing it's like what what can you do like what can you really do to stop him it's almost like you have to kind of just help count on him like stopping himself or taking too much uh t- taking too many sacks or everything russell wilson uh, i love him he's awesome he's great definitely deserves an mvp point here all right, what's your first LVP? I'm going to go to Sean McVay first. Very on brand for me to rip Sean McVay, who everyone was like, oh, the Rams, they're unstoppable. They're just going to watch to the NFC title and then the Super Bowl. And then, oh, the Rams are so good. They got Matthew Stafford. Everything's fixed now. It's, it's a cheat code. It's unlocked. There's no, there's no flaws here. Guess what? There is still a big flaw. And for as good as a head coach is, uh, as, as good of a head coach that Sean McVay is, I should say, when it comes to obviously like scheming things up and the offense is always going to be productive and blah, blah, blah. He is a coward when it comes to game management. This is not like a hot take. It's not an opinion. This is quantifiable. And as I was sending you stats in our little Slack chat, like I was sending you all these graphs of Ben Baldwin, like pointing out that Ben Baldwin from The Athletic, by the way, shout out. Um, like Sean McVay has the... Uh, like so from this game just going taking this game against the cardinals his performance was like the worst over the past two seasons in terms of foregone win probability he is a coward when it comes to kicking on fourth down like he loves it he doesn't want play to win the game that i almost want to say like the rams are never going to win a super bowl because he's always going to hold them back in a key spot i mean the rams are the only way the rams are going to win a super bowl is like if they're just so much of a better team and they're a juggernaut and the game isn't in, come down to a spot where there's a key fourth down or two and Sean McVay has to make that call cuz he's never going to do it he's never going to go for it he's going to be a coward and that is i i can't get behind a head coach who is like that it's maddening to me Second quarter, 325 left. They're down 21 to 10. It's fourth and goal from the Cardinals' four-yard line, and he trots in the kicker to make it an eight-point game. 628 in the third quarter. They're down 27-13. It's fourth and four from the Cardinals' 27. He trots out the field goal kicker again, 46-yard row. He misses the field goal. Like, and, and that one I don't even understand, right, because it's 27-13. Even if he makes the kick, it's 27-16. You're not right. changing anything. That's what I don't understand. 
It is stunning to me that you could have a young coach who thinks outside the box and comes up with all these creative offensive decisions. And yet when it comes to these fourth down decisions again and again and again, even when they've been burned in the past, they still continue to make it. And that dovetails perfectly into my LVP, BLG, because I'm giving it to Kyle Shanahan and I'm giving it to him basically for a similar reason. You cannot, especially when you're the 49ers, you cannot, with a sputtering offense, take possessions away from your team. And yet, that's what Kyle Shanahan has done, and he's done it consistently. And it, it as a fan, it, it drives me up the freaking wall. Again and again and again in this game, Kyle Shanahan said, I don't have any faith in my offense. Fourth and five at the 41 in the first quarter, punt. Fourth and six at the 46, punt. Fourth and two at the 46, punt. And fourth and three at the 47, punt. That is four possessions that ended basically at midfield because Kyle Shanahan is too scared that he might fail on one of those and he gives the ball to the other team. How can you keep doing this, BLG? It's really weird how the conversation around both of those guys Shanahan and McVeigh is centered around like they're these offensive geniuses or these young dynamos. And it's like, when are we going to start talking about their big cowards who like <laughs> right. don't want to win the game? Like, why is, why isn't that getting talked about more? Like, cause that's, that's a big story here. And again, it's something that might not show up until, you know, the tougher games, like it was for both the 49ers this week against the Seahawks and then the Rams against the Cardinals. Like it's not going to show up in those games where they're blowing out teams and stuff, but like, that's what matters most. So it's absolutely should get talked about more, but that's why we're here stats. We're here to hold people accountable. We're going to hold their feet to the fire. I can just tell how frustrated you are with this. I see the look on your face. You're just, you're ready to explode. Because if you had told Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay before the game, Hey, we need a play that gets us two yards. Can you draw up one play that'll get us two yards or more? They would be like, no problem. I got two <laughs> yards. Sure. I got, what do you got here? We could do this. We could run it. We could do a reverse. We could do a slant. Like, it's not like they can't do this, right? Like, put the game in the hands of your biggest strength. For Shanahan and McVay, that's offense. That's calling plays that gain yardage. Yet, for some reason, you know what it is? Like, I think they get too caught up looking at the first number in the down and distance instead of the second. Like, I don't know if they just have a fear of the number four, but it's almost like they completely forget that, hey, you only need two yards or three yards in this situation. And they just stare at that four and they clench up and they turtle up and they can't do it. I, I don't understand. How has nobody on the staff gone to them and been like, hey, dude, you can't draw up a play to get us three yards? You, you, It's beyond your capability? Like, aren't you supposed to be the offensive wizard? I, it just, I, I literally cannot understand it. And you're right. Like, I want somebody to call these coaches to the carpet. Just ask them directly. Like, why are you a giant coward? What are you afraid of? It's really funny, too, when you point out, like, the, the point about, like, these guys are probably have those plays like for two yards and one yards. Like how do you get touted as offensive geniuses and not have a play for that? Right. And the other side of that too is like 49ers and Rams have some defensive talent. So it's like if in the worst case scenario, you don't get it. Okay. Like at least you have some defense to like kind of maybe help you out. Or even if you don't, don't you still have confidence in yourself? Like, Hey, it doesn't matter if we don't get this cause we're going to get a touchdown the next drive. Cause we feel really good about our offense. Like, so to continue this conversation though, stats and to hand out my final, uh, my second of two LVP points. 
I have to give it to Nick Sirianni. And I guess it's really on brand for you to give an LVP point to <laughs> Shanahan and then me, Sirianni. But, dude, I am so – I was, like, beside myself when I'm watching the Eagles kick red zone field goals in a game against the Chiefs. That's not – like, I just – I couldn't believe what I'm seeing. Like, did you not watch the Chargers game last week where Brandon <laughs> Staley, like, put out the blueprint or executed – he didn't put out. Like, we, we knew the blueprint, but he executed the blueprint of beating the Chargers, and that was to be aggressive and go – or beating the Chiefs. Be aggressive, go for it. And Nick Sirianni was good with just kicking field goals – in the red zone. Now, the one that was most egregious to me was the start of the game when so the Eagles get to fourth and three from the Chiefs' 11 yard line, and they line up the offense to go out there. And it looked at first to be that like they were just trying to draw the Chiefs offside, which is really dumb. Like that never works, <laughs> really, almost never works. Um, but it, apparently, like that wasn't the case. And Jalen Hurts called the timeout because he thought there was a delay of game. And then because he thought there was a delay of game, Sirianni did too. So then they send the, the kick team out there because they thought it was going to be fourth and eight instead, which even then, I mean, you should still go for it anyway, like even if that's the case. And But then like at a certain point too, like how are you not realizing it is actually still fourth and three and not fourth and eight? And like you could put the offense back out there and go for it and try to actually win the game. Like, I know Sirianni is a new head coach and maybe he deserves like some grace in terms of like, he's still learning all of this, but like, I don't know, man. I think some people are taking this growing pains idea in Philly and like kind of excusing mistakes for it and not necessarily accounting for that. They could be lasting concerns. Like it's not a guarantee that because someone is young and new and starting out and making those mistakes that they won't happen again down the road. Like there's, there's actual flaws sometimes that last throughout time. And I'm kind of worried about that. And because of that, like bot situation there stats and the Eagles have to burn a timeout and then not even go for it at the end of the second, uh, the first half in the second quarter, when it looks like the Eagles are about to drive and maybe at least get a field goal and get some more points um, and shorten the game from like 21 to 13 to 21 to 16 or something like that. Eagles are at the, the chiefs 39 yard line. And instead of taking a timeout, like which I already thought was dumb uh, because they had one left, they just go for it. The Chiefs come free on a blitz, and then they turn over the ball. And the Eagles were very lucky that the Chiefs didn't recover that ball because they could have either gotten a touchdown or at least a field goal for themselves there. And, but, like, if you didn't burn that timeout earlier, Nick Sirianni, and you had to, you probably would have caught a timeout there. So, like, like those mistakes can hurt you later in the game. It's not even just, like, that isolated situation. So Nick Sirianni has been bad here. He really has. Like he's, This is not a well-coached team stats. The Eagles lead the NFL in penalties with 44 the next closest team is 34. 10 more penalties than the next closest team. Like, this is, they're just not well coached. And I know, like, again, Nick, uh, Jeffrey Lurie, when Nick Sirianni was hired, they released the audio of that call for some reason. And Jeffrey Lurie <laughs> talked about, like, I can't wait to see the coach you will become. So I think the Eagles are, like, expecting growing pains to be here. But again, like, I, I would not say that you, you can't just assume, like, oh, this is all going to go away. He's young. It'll be fine. You can't just assume that. Like, this is a, this is a troubling signal at the beginning of, at beginning of Nick Sirianni's tenure in Philly. Right. Like, unless you think he's going to become the perfect coach, then obviously some of those flaws are going to continue. Every coach has flaws. Hell, Bill Belichick made a dumb fourth down decision against Tampa Bay. Trying to kick that field goal in the rain when your kicker is already a little physically <laughs> iffy, like, that's a dumb decision. And the fact that Bill Belichick said, oh, I didn't even consider going for it is 
asinine. It's insane. And look, I, I know that there is those guys obviously know a ton of more football than we do, for sure. But this isn't like what to run against the cover two or how to beat a zone blitz or, you know, like it's not one of those questions. This is a simple, easy decision that anybody that's watched football for any length of time can see that you have to go for it in these decisions. You have to be on top of the management of the game. And so many of these coaches aren't. It's staggering to me. And I, I won't understand it, especially especially if you're the underdog. you got to score touchdowns. I have been screaming about this on the Niners Nation podcast. Field goals are failures. There's just no way around it. Unless you're like 55 or 60 yards away like the Ravens were at the end of the game against the Lions, in most cases, field goals are failures. You need seven points. Three points is not going to do it. Points are too cheap in the NFL today. The Eagles literally won a Super Bowl being super aggressive. Like if you look at the <laughs> right. 2017 Eagles and Doug Peterson, he was like more aggressive, way more aggressive than anyone else. And there's a good breakdown of this. My co-host on BGN Radio, Jimmy Kemsky, did a post I remember about like he looked back at all the situations where they did go for it and including the times they didn't get it, but they still went for it. And like the... The, what they gained in those situations was just like like incredible. Like it made such a huge difference. Like, like you're playing to win the game. That's literally what's happening. Like you're trying to win. And if you go and if you don't get it and you fail, well, guess what? At least you can go down being like, hey, we did everything we could to maximize our chances at winning the game. It didn't work out, but we at least tried. Like we we went down swinging at the plate. We didn't just stand there and watch the go, the ball go by and by and strike out. Um, so. It's easy for us to say, I guess that's because we're not in these positions and we're not at risk no, of getting fired. No, it should fired. be easy for them to do. That's exactly it. They're worried about the criticism. If you do yeah. the unconventional thing and fail, you're going to get crushed. And I really think that that's what it comes down to for a lot of these guys is that they're worried about that. But like Sean McVay is not getting fired anytime soon. He wins 10 right. games a year. He's gone to a Super Bowl. He's got the equity built up where he shouldn't even be worrying about that. If you're scared, get a dog. <laughs> It's, I mean, we're, we can talk about it literally every single week because it's, it's not going to change anytime soon. But I think that there's an opportunity there. The Ravens, the Chiefs, you talked about the Eagles when they won their Super Bowl. There's an opportunity where you can have a real advantage over your opponents if you do it because it's going to pay off. <sighs> All right, BLG, I need, I need some time away. I got to, I got to decompress. One oddity stats oh, before we, wrap before up we go. Show, okay. It's a surprise one. I didn't even tell you about it. I saw it. So this is actually on SBNation.com. So check that out. Go to SBNation.com. And James Dater, our good friend here, did a write-up of that. And it's just real quick. But the Lions snapped a ball in the red zone. Oh, God. Where yeah, they Jared, did. So you saw this. Okay. Where Jared Goff is, like, coming up, like, back to his center to kind of maybe t or tell the offensive line something to like, try to communicate with them. But the center doesn't realize that. He just snaps the ball <laughs> into Jared Goff. The ball bounces off of Jared Goff immediately into the hands of a Bears defensive lineman, Bilal Nichols. Like, that's insane. That's crazy. That's, it, it happened so quick. Dude. It wasn't even like it went up in the air and everyone had a chance to, like, look at it. It just, like, literally bounced into his hands. It's, like, the craziest. It might be, like, the quickest turnover in NFL history, or at least one of them. It was crazy. I've never seen a bad snap result in a fumble recovery that didn't touch the ground before. And you're yes. right. Like, it literally, the snap was just there, bounces off of Goff right to the sh that damn shape of the football man it's so friggin' unpredictable and uh we've seen a couple of weird snaps this year the rams had one and they were punting where the punt protector just inexplicably moves right in the path of where the center is snapping the ball and the ball goes off of him but yeah i mean 
when you're the Lions, like that's the stuff that happens to you, right? Like that could only happen to the Detroit Lions. Yes. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief. Again, we remind you, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you're already subscribed and you haven't dropped us a rating, we know you appreciate us because you subscribe to the show, but please do us this extra solid. Leave us a rating and a review. It really does help us. It makes a big difference. And like you heard when we at the top of the show, you leave us a rating, you leave us a review, we will read it. BLG, try to enjoy your week. You and I uh, both coming off losses here. We got we to gotta get back up. We got to get back into the positive vibes going into week five. Mm, we'll see. Eagles have <laughs> Carolina. Could be one and four. We'll see about it. It's a big game. It's actually a really big game for the Eagles. Um, but we'll see. You can Hey, if you like the Eagles, or if you, if you don't, either way, you can check out BleedingGreenNation.com for all of that. Enjoy your week, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.